Hi, everyone. This is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If this is your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today, I am so excited. We have with us Shay Wingate. Shay is a licensed clinical social worker, and she has a private practice in Nashville. And her work centers around supporting therapy clients through grief and loss, depression, anxiety, parenting, and family concerns. Shay, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Brooke. Let's just get right into it. So if you want to tell the audience a little bit about you, your story, so they get a perspective on where you're coming from, and then we'll get into our discussion. So I, you know, want to share my story about how I come into the world of grief. I have compound loss. So my dad, my sister, my mom died within a 13 month period. And it's kind of a heavy story, but I want to share it because I think I wanted to know other people who had that kind of experience Mm -hmm. because I didn't know anyone like that. So I was 26 at the time living in Memphis and about to move to Ohio to be with my boyfriend. And my mom called me and she said, well, don't, don't change your plans, but I have something to tell you. I was like, what, like what's mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. And she had said that she had ovarian cancer and, you know, was going to have to start treatment. And I, I mean, like the wind was knocked out of me a little bit because you hear ovarian cancer and that's a big one. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just said to her, like, I'm so sorry, you have to tell me that. And we like, cried on the phone and then I hung up and I called my dad and I was like, I'm going to move home. Like I had a month left on my apartment before I moved. And I was like, I just want to be with, with you guys. I just felt like that was the right thing. And he was like, come home, we'll figure it out. So I break my lease, move home. I spend the last month there with them. I'm like ending my job, like getting ready to move and interviewing for jobs up there and finding apartment and all like all these things that are happening, but it was really good. Cause I got to spend time with my family. And so the, that was like March 20th was my last day of work. And my mom's first day of chemo, my dad was going to take her and he'd been like kind of acting weird. Like he'd been really struggling with the diagnosis. Like we were all like, what's wrong with dad? Why isn't he like pulling together and being strong with us? He was really upset about it. Mm-hmm. And so then the next day I was supposed to take my mom for a procedure that she had to do after chemo. And she woke me up in the middle of the night and was like, come, come in here. Dad, dad's not breathing. I think he's had a heart attack. I run into the room and like all these, like, it's like a trauma moment, right? All of these things were heightened. It was really quiet, but it felt heavy on my ears and the room was really white and my voice sounded really loud. I was like screaming and my dad's face looked like really purple. And it was just like, I was like afraid to go near him, but I needed to help get him up. And so I went and got my oldest brother who was living with my parents at the time. And he like pulled dad down to the floor and his body just like dropped. And at that point I was like panicking. It's like, oh, dad has just died. The ambulance came and they took him to the hospital and I, I went with them and they like worked on him for a while. And then the doctor kept saying, where's, where's your rest of your family? Like, where's your, is it just you? And I was like, no, my mom and brother are coming. My mom had to like be in a wheelchair and, you know, she had just like gone through chemo. And so she wasn't, she wasn't like doing that well. And that when they came, the doctor was like, we've done all we can. And it was just such a like crazy moment because that was Thursday and I was supposed to move Saturday. And my mom had just gone through this really scary thing. And then my dad is just suddenly dead. And we're like, well, like what's happening and I remember people coming over and saying like how they were going to help us and I kept thinking they were going to they were talking about like helping us because my mom had cancer because that's how like fresh that news was Mm -hmm. and there was a moment where I was like oh like my dad is dead that's why you're helping my mom like she's got cancer too but because my dad said and I was really mad at him (laughs) it's like we needed you like Mm -hmm. how could you leave and you know I don't know we talked about how he didn't want to leave but he did leave us and that was just like a really hard time for our family and I ended up my mom looked at me at the hospital and was like you still have to move and go and live your life and there was I didn't go right away but there was some back and forth between like her and I and like my brothers are like you should just go and figure it out and or go and try mom will be fine I'll she's like I'll be fine and you have to go live your life. And so I thought, well, I'll go try it for a while and ended up getting the news a couple months later that mom was stopping chemo 
because it wasn't working. The doctor mm -hmm. was like done treating her. And I was like, oh my gosh, I should never have come up here. What was I thinking? And then she was like, don't do anything. Let me, let me think. So she took a couple of days and thought about it and ended up getting a different doctor to treat her. And he changed her diet and helped her with some lifestyle stuff. And she ended up living a year and like, was like healthier through that. If that makes sense. She mm -hmm. wasn't so sick from the chemo and she wasn't just like completely nauseous and wiped out all the time. It was like a different, I mean, she was still dying, but it was different. So then I spent like that next year going back and forth, helping her, visiting her. I didn't work full-time for a while. Didn't, you know, just driving back and forth so many times. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was there for Christmas. And then my mom like texted me one day in January at work. Like, I need you to call me. And it was like a Thursday morning and I was like working. It was like 9am and I was like, well, what's wrong? Like something's happened. Cause why would she do that? And she called me and she said, Karen, my sister had died. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I'm coming home. Like, don't, she's like, no, we don't know anything yet. We don't have any funeral information. Just wait. And I was like, no, I'm just coming home. And I was just in shock and I rushed home and like started packing. And then I called my brother-in-law and it just sort of hit me hearing him cry and telling me that like he'd found my sister dead in their house and how he had tried to help her, but it was too late. And and it was like kind of a mystery because like he had gone to bed and she died and never came to bed. Like she ended up falling and hitting her head weird. And later we found out that she kind of like choked to death. Oh, I don't know gosh. how you even say that. I Yeah, I don't like to think about it, but yeah. it was like a mystery. Like how does this 38 year old yeah. healthy woman, you know, die? And what a shock. And I just remember was coming home and seeing my mom and she had moved into an apartment by that time and sold our house and was living by herself and closed my dad's business. My sister had died and she just looked like she looked so done. She looked like it was really bad and hard for her. And I was like, okay. And she just wasn't getting good news with the treatment and stuff. And so after I left and went back to Ohio for after Karen's funeral, I was really worried about my mom and she wasn't getting good numbers in her treatment. And then in March, she called me and was like, I think we're done with this treatment. I think it's not working. It's we're just going to be done. And, and the school I was working at as a social worker, a therapist shut down because of the pandemic. This was mm -hmm. March, 2020. And I was like, okay, coming home. And I spent that last month of her life teleworking in her apartment. Also my boyfriend and my brothers were teleworking too. And all of us like taking shifts to take care of her because we didn't want her to be like in hospice without us because you know of COVID we just like CNN was on like COVID coverage and then we're trying to work and act like everything's fine because we don't know how long it'll be and then mom is in the other room on hospice and I just it was just really crazy so after that like after she we got to be with her when she died which was really really nice for for me and it was a different kind of be with her with dad it was like i'm here but like we're all screaming yeah. with mom it was like we're here and i'm holding your hand and so i just feel like i got schooled on grief with those three different experiences they were also different the people or the different people like a father a sister a mother and the manner of dying was also different mm -hmm. it was just a really like a whole lifetime of grief kind of compacted into one. It was, yeah. it was, it was a lot. That is so much. Yeah. yeah. I'm like going to cry. That's so sad. <laughs> one thing that like your story is obviously like hard, but mm -hmm. one thing that when you and I first talked and we're talking about recording was to have that much loss in a row that adds an extra layer to a grief experience, mm -hmm. right? And so I'd love to just get into that a little bit because you hear from like older, when I have people on who have like lived a big long life and they're like lost compounds because, okay, you yeah. lost this person and then this person. But mm -hmm. often when you hear stories like that, it's people who are in like their seventies, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're in your twenties. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, can you talk about that a little bit and what that was like in being, I would assume the only person in your friend group who ex experienced that much loss. I remember my dad's death being a tragedy and maybe it was the manner of him dying and us being there and 
one of my first real, you know, experiences with grief and death like that. And then when my sister died, my mom died, I was kind of saying, yeah, this is how life goes, I guess. It just felt like, because it was, you know, you're the star of your own movie of life, you know, it's like, oh, this is how it goes. But you're right. A lot of people couldn't uh, connect with that. And I had a, my friend Colleen, you know, who, you know, she had she was on the show for people who are listening and have other episodes. She was great. Like, like I met her in Ohio and like, we're still really good friends. And I remember when I met her, we were hanging out and I was like, my dad just died. (laughs) Just like blurted it out. She was my first friend in Ohio and I needed that so bad. And she had talked about her brother, Sean had died a few months before my dad and we really connected and, you know, we enjoyed each other on so many other levels, but then my sister died and my mom died. And I remember Colleen saying, I felt like I could relate to you when we both had like one death and then you had your sister and your mom. And even I felt like, I don't know what to say. And I, I mean, I get what she's saying and I appreciate her honesty and I didn't know what to say to her either because <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? And, and a lot of people couldn't relate to it. And even the people who have been through some kind of death and, and loss even still couldn't relate to it. And my brothers, even though they had lost the same people, it was different for them. So mm-hmm. there's just places in grief where you have to go alone and your relationship with the people that you love who dies so unique and, and personal. So yeah. And the compound loss, like that experience, I felt like I maybe started grieving my dad after my mom died because my mom was sick and we were, it was just easier for people to talk about her cancer treatment than the fact that my dad had died. So we talked about that a lot and, and I had to put that on the back burner in, in a way, because I was in a new city and a new job and nobody knew me and was asking about my dad. So in a way it was in the back burner and that was hard a little bit, but also I was worried about my mom and that was something living that we could fix and we could talk about yeah. and we could do. So it was a different kind of experience than most people probably have. Yeah. I want to go back to several things that you just said, but mm-hmm. like with cancer treatment, there's hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. But with a sudden death, it, you're in shock. Like you're in shock, mm-hmm. I think no matter what, but can you talk a little bit? And it, it sounds like maybe it's different because you had to pause your grief to take care of your mom. Right. Mm-hmm. I talked about on the show before, and I've talked about this with a couple of friends who've lost parents of the difference between a sudden death and an expected death mm-hmm. um, and how your brain processes that differently. And I don't know if you have any insights from your training as a social worker and a therapist, but did you notice that in your own experience? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the night my dad died, like I went to bed and I said like, good night. And I didn't say, I love you. And that really bothered me. And of course I loved him and he knew that I loved him, but he, he spoke to my mom a little bit before he died. And I really wanted that. And I was glad she got that, but I was really upset that I didn't have that. I didn't know that'd be the last time I'd be saying goodbye, good night. But with mom, so, and my sister too, like I look back at like our, some of our last texts and I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I like tell her how great she was? (laughs) I just was just texting her whatever about this like TV show that we were watching. It seems so insignificant, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, with mom, like, because we had those experiences, there was time to talk, but at the same time, she didn't want to talk about that. So that was hard for me because I wanted to dive into it so hard and be like, okay, well, how long did they tell you have, what are we going to do? I remember saying to her, was I a good daughter? I need to, I need to hear that. I need to know that I was a good daughter. And she was like, we're not talking about that. And we had a little bit of it towards the end. And then it was so funny when she was ready to talk about it, when she was on hospice, I was like, we're not talking about that. <laughs> That's so like we did that or I tried to do that with my dad. I wanted a video mm-hmm. of him saying, I love you or voice recording. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one of my cousins was trying to like get that for me. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's interesting because you hear stories about people who are like sick and like 
they some people want to close up loose ends or like you know mm-hmm. leave leave a letter a note whatever and then some people are just like absolutely not I yeah. cannot I cannot do that it's too hard well I think too like you were saying about my training I like to call it a living loss when someone is like diagnosed and they're dying and so you you start grieving you start saying goodbye the moment that you know they're diagnosed. And so that that's really different than the shock and the trauma of a sudden death. And, and then my sister, like hearing about the death, I was really upset by that because I, I was really glad that we were with dad and he was in our house when he died. And Karen was in her house too, with her husband. He was just in the other room. He was sleeping. Dad spoke to mom and I was like, was Karen like alone? Was she afraid? Was she hurt for a long time? That really, really bothered me. And so when I went to Memphis for her funeral. I wanted to see her body mm-hmm. and I really pushed for that. I just knew I had to see it. I didn't want, I wanted to to see it. So to make sure she was okay. I know that doesn't, I don't know, but I just needed that. And I wanted her to not be alone. I wanted mm-hmm. her to, I don't know if she knew that we had seen her body, but I wanted, it felt like we needed to be with her before she was cremated for a little bit. So mm. I pushed for that and everybody was like, you don't want to do that. It's going to be like tragic and like grotesque and like at the morgue. And it's like, no, it's not. And I pushed for it. And then the cremation place kind of put her together and we got to see her. And I'm really proud of us for doing that. And it really helped me make it real. Mm-hmm. I think about like, you know, how we used to talk about death and how it used to be we would mourn we would wear black and we would like tombstones are like millions of years old of like marking this thing like making the invisible tangible and visible but then when things happen like covid when someone dies on a zoom screen it almost doesn't even feel real and yeah our brains need that understanding think, yeah so when my dad was sick someone in my family is a death doula and um mm. or two people are actually, but the one I'm thinking of, she had said to my mom, you guys should sit with his body, like mm-hmm. a little before you call the funeral home yeah. a little bit. And we did. And like a lot of us were like in the room. The nurse who we had hired to take care of him overnight came and woke us all up. Then we were there for a long time. And then my mom like had I couldn't do it. But my brother like went and held his hand and laid with him for a long time in his bed. Mm. And I think having our brain be able to like process it because our brains try to protect us, right? Like it's a shock. Mm -hmm. And so your brain's like bury it. And I don't know if you had this experience of when your mom was in hospice or after your dad passed away, but you start to forget because your brain is like, this is too much. So we're going to pretend this isn't happening. But there's all these studies that if you can be with the body, see the body, that that's really helpful. And one of my cousins and my dad's brother went and saw his body in the morgue. Mm -hmm. And like, we were like up really late, like a day or two later before they were the day before they cremated him. It was like two in the morning (laughs) like and called the funeral home. And I was like, hi, my cousin's going to come see my dad before Mm -hmm. you do it. And for him, that was really helpful. But I think it's hard, but if people who are listening can do that, there is something to be said for it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if I could do it, but I think <laughs> the people I know who've done it have found it really helpful. I think it is. I mean, we're such a death-denying society. It's mm-hmm. the last taboos. We we want to run away from it. It's inconvenient. We don't like talking about grief. We want it to be over. But I think that causes problems down the road. And, you know, of course, like do what you can, but I love that idea of like, you know, being with that person and sitting with them. And I'd actually had heard that recently. I heard someone's TED talk about that and I, it made me like sad. Cause I was like, I wish I had spent more time with their bodies. I, we spent a little bit of time, but I was like, okay, we got it. Like, I remember my brother said, <laughs> he laughs we laugh about it, but I don't know if that's that's just how we deal with things. But he said at the hospital with mom was like rubbing dad and like crying and sitting there with him for a long time. And I had been there with him for hours because it took them forever to get there and they were working on him. And I was like, dad's in our hearts. Let's go. <laughs> my brother like says that all the time to me. He's like, dad's in our hearts. Just move on. And like, I was just so like, I was just, I'd had enough, like, you mm-hmm. know, and you have to listen to that too. And 
you know, I, like it comes to a point where it's like, okay, like I, I need to dip out of this for a moment. Yeah. I'm glad I dipped into it and it was good. And I'm proud of myself and I needed that, but you can't, you can't take all of grief at once. Yeah. And I think that's a really important message of like, it doesn't have a timeline and it will like sneak up on you and people like message me all the time. And they're like, what do I do to like get through this and get over whatever? I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, you know, can you talk a little bit about, cause um, you experienced the loss of your mom, like right in during COVID, right at the beginning. Can you, any like thoughts or advice for a lot of listeners who have experienced loss during COVID because it kind of like fucks your grieving process up, right? Oh, and like you mentioned like, saying goodbye over FaceTime. I have friends who had to do that or like through windows. Yeah. Just any, because it's not normal. Like you want to be with people and like the ritual, like you talked about like wearing black and like mourning, but like we want to go to a funeral. We want to sprinkle ashes. We There's all these things that COVID really put a wrecking ball in as far as everything, but we can talk just about mourning and yeah. grief. <laughs> So any advice on how to handle that or what worked for you? Well, I, in a way, because my mom was at home, it was kind of nice because it was just like a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. She died at home and we had hospice at home and that was a real gift to us. I can't imagine, oh my gosh, I can't imagine having to say goodbye on FaceTime that would be one of my friends had to do that. And I was like hysterical when she was, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and that's interesting because I did FaceTime some people for my mom. Like one of my friends said goodbye to my mom. And then like, she had these like pastors that she wanted to like have pray with her. And so they said goodbye and stuff. And that I could see that was hard for them. And my friend had talked about how she just wanted to be there with us, but of course she couldn't be, Mm -hmm. but we ended up doing so she, my mom died April, 2020. And then we ended up doing her memorial September, 2021 on her birthday, which was like the worst. Yeah. (laughs) And that was really different for me and really hard because I spoke at all the services, but there's a difference between speaking right after someone dies, like a week later, you have that adrenaline, like you're in shock. And then speaking 18 months later, it was just so hard, but mm-hmm. I'm glad we did that, even though it was 18 months later. And so for people who, you know, aren't able to celebrate or memorialize or remember their life in the way that they wanted to at that time, even though it's hard and it might not feel like you need to do that, like it was, it was good to do it. I remember one of my brothers and I were just rolling our eyes, like, why do we have to be here? Why do we have to do this? We went on a big trip before because we wanted to just have something nice out of all Mm -hmm. of it. And it it was really hard, but I think even though I didn't think it would provide me any closure or anything, there was a sense of like, okay, we've like done the thing. And Mm -hmm. there's a tendency to maybe be like, well, we don't need to do this ritual or have the symbol because it is hard to bring it back up. Like you don't even want to do the funerals in the first place. But I think I would encourage people to try to do something mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like you don't have to have a big expectation of it and maybe just let, like what, let whatever happens for you come up. And I think for me, there was this like sense of relief that we, we did memorialize her in some yeah. way. Yeah. And you, to like put some respect on it, but I think like n- even further than the funeral of like, you want to gather, right? Like in your story, you kept being like, I'm coming home because like, mm-hmm. you want, you want to be with people when you're sad. But for the people who have had to experience loss during COVID and well, like confined, even still like, so I had COVID and it's like, we're it's the end of December and 2021 when we're recording and there's a huge surge in New York with Omicron right now. And I had it and I had it over my dad's birthday. And like my brother lives two floors below me. You just want like a hug and you can't. And it's just like, I don't know. I like hope this turns into a common cold soon because it's just like grieving alone and being sad alone. Like we want to be with people. And so like, Mm -hmm. and people are like, well, you're not alone. Like we can FaceTime. Like we can, like they send, you know, my mom sent like an orchid, whatever. But like, it still sucks. And I kind of just wanted people to be like, no, this is terrible. Yeah. Right. 
you have these thoughts of like, okay, when someone I love dies, I'm going to have this big service. Like you're going to, on the anniversary, you're going to do whatever. On the birthday, you're going to do whatever. And then when you can't, you're just kind of like, what do I do now? And you have to like be alone with your sadness, which is hard. It's really hard. Yeah. And it makes you face your grief in a, in a really different way. Yeah. And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see down the line, how we look back on all of this, but like my dad's funeral was huge Mm -hmm. and my mom's funeral was tiny or service or whatever celebration of life, whatever you want to call it. Like it was tiny. And I felt that was unjust and we wore masks during it. So I really couldn't like see people's faces when I was Mm -hmm. up there talking and stuff. And that felt really unjust to me because my mom deserved, my sister's was huge too, of course. Like she's, she was 38 and my dad's, her and my dad's death were sudden, but I could just felt really angry that it wasn't as big, but at the same time, like I get it. Like it was months later and we honestly didn't even really tell a lot of people about it because (laughs) we were just so over all of this. Yeah. But you do want people to like be there and celebrate their life and like mourn with you and hear your story. I think that's something I really wanted a lot. I wanted my story to be heard over and over again. And we want to feel heard. And something you said at the beginning of the show was that you were wanted to, part of the reason you want to tell your story is because you didn't hear anything. Like, yeah, nothing. Right. And like people who listen to the show have heard me talk about this. Part of the reason I started the podcast was I was just everywhere searching for almost like a model of someone else got through this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone is what I'm feeling normal is. And like, I couldn't find anything. So I was like, well, I'll just, I'll do something (laughs) because, and I think so many of the people who reach out and come on the show want to tell their story because when you're going through it, you're like, I'm the only person who's ever felt like this. Yeah. And hearing that someone else gets through it gives you hope, right? It does. Yeah, it does. And and you think, like, I felt like I had a grief stench on me, mm-hmm. like that I could feel people like pull away yeah. and I would never tell my full story because it was too much. Or I would say it really quickly because I didn't want to put so much on that other person. And that wasn't, a, that didn't do me any justice. The thing that I needed to do was to process and tell my story, but because it was so much, I felt that people couldn't handle it. So then I, they would pull away and feel awkward so that I wouldn't tell it. And that was really hard. And so I was searching for like, does this happen? Like, is this how life goes? Like for some people mm-hmm. and they just maybe haven't shared it because I, I would understand that, but I didn't know people who had this experience. So I I was desperately searching for it. And I mean, there are people with this experience. Did you find that, um, cause you moved recently after, right. And you Mm -hmm. had to go make new friends and like really common get to know you question is people ask about your family. So Mm -hmm. what did you do? Well, I didn't make friends for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Great solution. <laughs> yeah. My one sweet friend, Colleen. Yeah. I, I don't think I really told a lot of people at work. I definitely, so I worked for a company that would like contract therapists for schools. So within my company, I think like my manager knew or like my supervisor knew, but I definitely didn't tell anyone at the school I was at. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see if I had stayed at my other job that I had been at for like two years, like how that would have been for people who knew me and knew what was going on. And yeah. I wasn't in a place to like really be a friend or friendly, or I I couldn't leave my apartment most of the time. Honestly, I was so tired. And then Tim, my partner and I ended up moving in with a family friend who like needed us to stay at the house. Like they weren't living at that house anymore. Can you stay there? And so we ended up staying there. And then when the pandemic hit, the the husband, the dad moved back in and he's like 86 year old man living there. And they became my friends, like his family, <laughs> my friends, the um, amazing <clears throat> family. They had a lot of people, they were, they've been in Cincinnati forever. And so the people that were around them and friends with them, those were the people that I spent time with. And then my partner and I moved back to Tennessee to be for his job, but then also to be closer to my brothers. So I, and I came back here, I knew a lot of people from college, but like so much had changed with them. Like they were, they were like getting married, having kids, like doing their jobs. And 
I was like, I'm here and I've lost so many people and I know I haven't talked to you in five years, but like, can you please care for me completely? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of hard. And I, I had to navigate in my own mind, how much do I share? Like how much do I expect from people? Like how much, you know, it it was just, it was hard. And you find the people that really are you're close to and that can take it and want to talk to you. And, and then you find people that you're friends with just because you guys can go do some things together and that, and that's okay too. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a little bit about what people said that was helpful and what people mm-hmm. said that didn't, which I think is more important mm-hmm. because yeah. I think so many people don't say anything because they don't know what to say. Yeah. Right. So yeah. can you share anything that sticks out in your mind? Yeah. Unhelpful stuff. I don't need anyone's advice, really. A lot of people told me after my, at my dad's funeral, like, you don't have to move. And I was like, okay, well, um, I, like, what's your name? I don't even know who you are. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really unhelpful. And it's just hard because you have to plaster this smile on your face. Or at the time I thought I did, I definitely wouldn't do that now. Don't be sad, be more positive. Like all this kind of like just wanting pe- people, just wanting me to be better because mm-hmm. if I was making them uncomfortable maybe or they just thought it was helpful. I'm not sure. But what was helpful was people that asked me questions like, what was your mom like? Or what was your sister like? Or what would you guys do at Thanksgiving? And then I had a friend who would call me every Monday and we would just talk. And I would, sometimes we'd talk about, it was like to talk about my family, but sometimes we would talk about other things. So just Mm -hmm. a person who I could count on to call me and share memories. And I, I shared this story on, I think I might've shared it with you, but I had, when my mom was on hospice, she'd given me some socks for Christmas and I lost one of them in her apartment and I couldn't find it. And I was freaking out. And I remember going to her and telling her like, mom, I lost one of these socks. And she was like, Shay, like, can you please just leave me alone? (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally dying. And so, um, but I was obsessed with it and I was so upset. And I remember like crying over it because it was like, I had lost this one thing. And so then I'd have to throw the other one away because why would I just have one like red wool sock? But it was, I was telling my friend, there won't be any new socks. There won't be any new gifts. There won't be any new memories. Like this is it. I have to hold on to these things. So whenever one of the things that my mom or my sister or my dad gave me breaks, I get really like upset about it. And my friend said, we're going to spend the rest of our lives talking about your memories. And that was really helpful for me because she validated that you know, it wasn't like, oh, don't worry about the sock or we'll get you more socks or it's just a sock. You have those memories. And she was like, no, we're going to spend our life like remembering these things. And yeah. and it's okay to be upset about the fact that there won't be more, but just know you have a place to always remember them. Yeah. Which is like what a kind thing to say yeah. of your friend, because yeah. that's such a real thing. And I experienced that of like, I get like mad, I'm like there's not new pictures. Like there's not new birthday cards. There's not new present, like not new trips and like not like dinners, like whatever the hell like you do. But and I get like jealous of people who get new memories and like angry. Yeah, I think we I would love to talk about jealousy and grief for a minute because I was so surprised by that, how jealous I was and how I didn't want anyone else to have like family dinners or pick, like, I don't want to see their family pictures or go to their family things. Like it, I don't know. I was just so jealous of it. And I was surprised how, how big that emotion was for me, but I, I want to normalize that for people. Like, of course you're jealous. You want to spend time with your loved one and it's okay to feel jealous. I felt yeah. really, really jealous and really angry for a yeah. long time. Yeah. And then like when people father's day, fucking forget it. I'm like, you're terrible. All of you. Like I can't go on the (laughs) internet. And then like I emailed brands. I was like, is there a way to opt out of father's day emails and (laughs) like small business, like this is a a lot of time in my hands, like small (laughs) businesses have responded and being like, wow, that's actually like a good idea. Like maybe we can figure something out with that. But like, I think, I don't know, like for people to understand and like know that it's okay right like that you're upset that there's not new memories not new gifts I don't know did you watch the new sex in the city show or have you been watching it no I haven't 
okay well someone in the show dies I won't like give it away who it is but it's all over the internet and one of the characters who is dealing with the loss someone who's in her apartment breaks something and they're like I'll replace the glass on the picture frame like you don't understand like they touched this glass yeah you can't replace it it's irreplaceable like yeah and I, feel I get that. so and when you said when stuff breaks when I, I have so much of my dad's stuff in my like tiny little studio and when stuff breaks I'm hysterical yeah. like this isn't about the thing and like I thought I lost one earring my dad gave me on my birthday and I was like a psychopath crying on the sidewalk and like eight people looking for it on the ground I'm like screaming you don't understand. Like I can't get it. I can get a new one, but it's not the same. It's not the same. No, totally. Like we, Tim and I, my partner moved into a, we bought a house and moved into it. And that was really hard because, you know, they're never, they're not going to see it. They're not going to see it. And they don't know about it. Yeah. They don't know about it. And so Tim's mom, dad, and sister and his um, sister's boyfriend came for a weekend. And I was like, like I'm so jealous that your mom and dad and sister are coming. Like I just hated it. Like I'm, I just didn't want it to happen, of course. But you know, it happened. <laughs> it was fine. But I cooked dinner for everybody one night, and something happened. Like her, his dad was loading the dishwasher or something. I don't know. Like an accident happened, and a platter my mom had given me broke. Oh god. And I I made my brother come to to the dinner because I like needed someone there on my side. Like I felt yeah. like that. And he looks at me and he is like, oh my gosh. And Tim's sister's boyfriend is just like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. We'll clean it up. It's fine. And he was just like being positive and nice. Like he didn't know. And he kept saying, it's fine. It's fine. And I was like, that's for my mom. She gave it to me for for my birthday. So actually it's not fine. Like in this high pitch, like crazy voice. And I'm just like, shut the fuck up, you know? And my brother was like, Shay, whoa, like he doesn't know. And I was like, well, he knows now. And, um, and he was like, oh, and I was like, I have to speak my truth. And then I went into my bedroom and cried. <laughs> oh, normal setting that. Yeah. Broke. And then he was saying like, it's fine. And, and it wasn't fine. And, you know, I, I kind of laugh about that moment, but I'm kind of cringy about it, but it's also like a human moment. It's such a human moment. And I want people listening to know that that's like a very, normal reaction and we intellectually know that I'm upset because I'm not ever going to get a birthday present from them again yeah right like and they thought about this and they picked it out for me and I can get another platter like I can get another earring like whatever but it's not from them and they're never going to give me anything again because they're dead right and having to explain that to people sucks Mm -hmm. yeah but then people like people surprise me though because that that same trip like I was we were showing them our house and I said oh this is an old nightstand table I had when I was a kid that my dad painted for me when I was a kid and then when I got older and moved out he painted it green so I could still have it in my room but it wouldn't be like a white little kid nightstand and then later that day we were at like a farmer's market and Tim's sister was like this pot reminds me of the table your dad painted for you because it's green like that and I was like yeah thank you for like you know she didn't just think that she like told me like this reminds me of that table I was listening to that and I remember and I'm gonna mention your dad and so that was really nice those kinds of surprising things happen because people sometimes they get it and they understand a little bit and they care and they want to they want to give you something to like ease your pain Mm -hmm. and that was like a good way I felt like to do it yeah and I think to go back to what we're talking about, it's like, what do you say to people? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think and want to normalize for people who are supporting grievers, right. That you're not going to make someone sad if you bring them up. Right. It's okay to do that. And it's okay to be like, Oh, from what you told me about your person, they would have probably loved this. And that doesn't need to be a sad moment. Like sometimes it will be, but yeah, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. 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 It's, it's nice to hear like things about my family and what's really hard for me was that I felt like people had moved on and they forgot. And I hear mm-hmm. this from grievers a lot. And so anytime someone can say, what, what was your mom like, or say her name or say, Oh, this reminds me of the thing 
that you showed me or that they would have liked. It's really nice to, Mm -hmm. to know that you still matter because people, people do that. Like people ask Tim about how I am. And then I'm like mad because no one's asked me. And he's like, well, they've been asking about you. And, and I'm like, well, why don't they ask me? And Tim and I were talking about this the other night. And he was like, I know that that made you mad, but I still do that with you. We had a friend whose grandmother just died and Tim was like, how are they doing? I'm like, why don't you text them? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you yeah. know, you of all people should know that this is what to do, but it's just so natural to avoid it. And it's just such an uncomfortable, awkward thing. Mm-hmm. And I say this all the time, like no one's like malintentioned, right? They just are scared. Yeah. That's and- very generous of you. <laughs> I'm trying to give people more grace because I get angry really easily. So I'm trying to like be better about that. So if we can talk a little bit about your work as a therapist and like, I'm reading that book right now. Uh, Maybe you should talk to someone. Did you read that? I haven't read that. Okay. Well, she, so for anyone who's listening, who hasn't, and for you, she's a therapist and the book talks about like her becoming a therapist, talks about her practice and then her experience seeing her therapist is very interesting. How has your experience influenced the way you treat people? I would imagine you have this huge academic backing, right? Like you have to, it's really hard work to become a therapist. (laughs) You have to do a lot, but how did this change the way you treat people or can you is that something you can talk about yeah yeah it's so interesting because in grad school I wanted to be a grief therapist which is hilarious because I had no fucking clue and I was just drawn to it like I just took classes on grief and loss and death and dying and I don't know I was just drawn to it it was really interesting I couldn't have told you at the time why maybe it was just like a field of study that I felt like I enjoyed. And then I ended up doing some writing on grief and working this like grief camp and trying to get this job at this like grief and loss center. And I didn't end up getting that job because I didn't have any openings, which was like a good thing because I wasn't ready for it. And I ended up doing general work and then in general work, community mental health and schools and stuff, grief comes up. And it was just different not being on the other side of it. Not that I necessarily share with my clients about my own story, but some people know because they're referred to me by people who tell them. And I think that there's just a difference of understanding. I don't understand your specific pain. No one will. I know like an academic side of it. And I also know personally some of the physical symptoms that happen and interactions with people that are awkward or unhelpful. But I will say that it's something I share with my clients a lot. And I really needed to hear in the beginning people don't want to be around you when you're suffering and because you're not a fun person to be around and the people that are closest to you, you're going to hate them. And that's normal because you're going to take your anger out on them. You're going to feel upset with them. They're going to be around you at your worst. Nobody wants to be around people at their worst. You don't even want to be around yourself at your Mm -hmm. worst. Mm -hmm. So I feel like if we could acknowledge that, that's something I do in my work a lot. I would never have thought to say that before. And I I never would have really understood that I'd be like, well, you know, maybe think about how you're interacting with that person and what you have control over, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, that's true. But at the same time, you are suffering and you're shitty to be around. The people around you don't want to be around you. And can you blame them? And can we all just acknowledge that that, that that's happening and this is hard and, and let that be okay for a while? Like you there's a lot of beating yourself up and grief in, in my office, like people coming in and feeling bad about how bad they were. And yeah, I mean, I, I get it on some level that we don't want to continue that pattern, but at the same time you're grieving, you're going to be like crying on the sidewalk about the earring. This isn't a normal, it is a normal part of life, but this isn't like how you normally are. You're going through this yeah. time of suffering. Yeah. And I, I love that way of looking at it. No one's ever said that before, but I think that's a really important thing to remember of it's hard and you're going to be hard to be around for a lot of people. You're going to be hard to be around. And like, you don't even want to be with yourself. Sometimes I would be so annoyed with myself and, and I'd hate the people that were closest to me. They would drive me crazy. They'd always do something wrong. They were never helpful. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not the reality of it, but I was suffering. 
Yeah. Well, and a lot of the time it's easier to be mad than sad. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's something I do a lot. It's called the anger iceberg. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, but let's talk about it because that sounds useful to me. <laughs> yeah. So you think about an iceberg, you just see like the the top of it. And that's like the anger part that you're seeing. But underneath, like exploring with people, what are those emotions? And at first people have no idea, but then you start writing like sad, confused, disappointed, jealous, frustrated, annoyed, disrespected. There's all of this stuff underneath that's a lot bigger than the anger you're seeing but like the anger is safer mm -hmm. to like expose and easier to expose and you know you can be angry at i was angry at the way like my partner would drive but really i was depressed and jealous and sad and so it just was easier to be like oh my gosh can you hit every pothole <laughs> than be like actually i'm feeling shaky because these important people in my life have died and i feel like my identity is gone away and you know i'm not going to say all that in the car i'm just going to be angry and you're annoying driving so i think helping us understand that all the pieces that are actually a lot bigger and heavier but they might be underneath the surface is important and for everyone it's yeah. different like maybe your loss and your relationship bring up different thing maybe you don't feel jealous maybe you feel like afraid like my friend colleen i'm telling, telling all colleen stories we were talking about how i was prone to anger when my dad died and she was prone to like anxiousness when sean died and i think some of that is just like the way of dying too yeah. i noticed a huge uptick in my anxiety after yeah. my yeah, dad you share a lot about that I, I yeah i like blackout i forget what i say and then i'm like wow all these people know all of these things about me because i'm like i'm just talking to shay it's fine <laughs> yeah like, this is on the internet and a lot of people listen to no i think it's great <laughs> i think it's great and i as a grief therapist now i'm so surprised by people's differences i i guess for a while i thought like everyone's gonna grieve like me they're gonna be angry and jealous for this amount of time and i hear people say things like i don't want i don't like it when people say i'm sorry your dad died if a client told me this and I would never have expected. I love when people say that. She really? Like, yeah. She was like, it makes me feel like people feel sorry for me. And I don't like that, but he I killed himself. So like, that's uh, totally different than totally different. Yeah. But that would be I my go-to thing to say to someone. I'm sorry. Your dad died. I say now I'm sorry. We're in this shitty club together mm. because that feels like the best thing to say. And one of my cousins, their mom had passed away a while ago. And after my dad died, they texted me and said, it's okay to cry every day. I cried every day for two years and this is awful. Let it be awful. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, they get it because people who are like, and the first episode of the show is called, I'm sorry for your loss and other misguided things people say, which by the way, if you have not listened to old episodes, I've improved significantly and i kind of want to take the old ones off the internet but yeah. like they're they're still there and <laughs> it's a journey and yeah. i was so mad when people said i'm sorry i'd be like me too i was mad but still it's still my go-to when some i hear about a loss when you after you told your story at the beginning i wanted to say like i'm so sorry that happened to you and because we don't know what to say and we don't have the language yeah. And then like one of my really good friends, her dad passed away suddenly, probably like 10 years ago. And she's like, I like when people say, I'm sorry. I was like, what? And so it's really a crapshoot. And I think for people who are looking to like support other people, you just gotta be ready for like all the emotions that are gonna come. <laughs> and like, yeah. yeah. I think the most important thing to do though is show up. Like no one's ever mad at someone for showing up. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's why I share the, the thing that like, you're impossible to be around and you hate the people around you because you might feel like one day I'm glad people are saying I'm sorry and the next day you don't. There was no, no one could ever say the right thing, honestly. Honestly, no one did the right thing. But like a lot of people tried and did a better version of the thing. But if I'm being honest with myself, nothing could have been the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I sometimes feel like a bit of shame about how I acted during that time, but that's not helpful. I was grieving. And if people can't understand that, then they're just not people I need to be close to. And, yeah. you know, give yourself a little bit of grace if you're going through this right now or for the first time. There might not be anything that people can do or say that's right. And that's okay. Well, nothing's going to bring can't. the person back. Yeah. And that's what we want, right? Right. Like, 
And unfortunately, science has not figured out how to do that. Right. Right. Let it be hard because Mm -hmm. that's how you get through it. Like if you pretend it's not hard, that's not helpful. Yeah. I think I do want to talk about that. I talk about in my practice, befriending your grief. Mm -hmm. I know that might sound, um, odd, but grief is so demanding. If you don't already know this, you will find out pretty soon. Like it will get its time from you. It's not going to wait around for you to make time for it. If you don't make time for it, it's going to, it's going to find its time. You're going to be crying in a meeting or, you know, like just an inconvenient time. So if you can find ways to befriend it and, and let it walk alongside you and jump in and out of it, spend some time with it, get to know it. It's actually not as scary as, as you might think. It's not going to overwhelm you. You can stand it. And you know, your grief is big because your love was big. And there's places you just have to go alone in grief. People can't go with you everywhere. You just have to go some, sometimes with it alone and know that that's okay. You'll come out of it. It's not going to hold you down there forever. Mm-hmm. But if you fight it, it's going to be really difficult. I know I did a lot of that. It wore me out and, and it's going to find you. So if I could help you at all, just spend some time with it. I promise it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's end there. I think that's a nice note to end on, Um, but I want to talk to you all the time. I want you to come back. Um, This was such a good episode. I would keep going, but people don't like to listen to shows that are longer than an hour. (laughs) So we'll have you come back. Do you want to share? Are you taking new clients right now? Yes. Yes, I'm okay. taking your clients. People can find me. Yeah. You can find me social. on Instagram, Wingate Counseling, and then my website, wingatecounseling.com. I have a blog. Um, so if people like are interested in reading other people's grief stories or some like helpful information or advice about grief, you can find me there. I'd love to connect with you. Perfect. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. And thank you to Colleen for making the connection yes. for us. And if you haven't listened to her episode, don't know what number it is, but her name is Colleen Cully, and she was great to have on the show also. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can find um, us online at thegriefcoach.co, um, on social at the underscore grief coach. And if you want to go leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, that helps other people looking for this type of content find it. And talk to you guys soon.